traveling the world to fish, black marlin and swordfish on fly, and supporting your family being a sport fisherman, all this week on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Eric Leach has one of the best reputations in the sport fishing world. He has dedicated his life to the sport. From the day he graduated high school in 1997, he has supported himself and now his family sport fishing for a living. ESPN is too weak to cover the best in sport fishing, so we do it here on The Real Guy Podcast. I hope you enjoy. I'm in the Lunker Dog Studios today. Eric, thanks for coming in. Oh, it's good to be here. It's nice. I was, I was, uh, I was just uh, telling Eric that out of almost 200 podcasts, the two that I blew were with Captains for Clean Waters and then with him and his dad. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know who, his, uh, who Eric Leach's dad is, that was Mike Leach, who was the president of the IGFA, who I've been friends with since I can remember, and totally blew that podcast. <laughs> But if you think about it, 200 podcasts and I blew two. That's pretty good average there. I wish my billfish average was like that. <laughs> any any fishing average was like that. <laughs> so Eric, um, really glad that you're in here today. And um, I don't know, I feel like you are have survived and have lasted in the fishing world so much longer than everybody else that I know. <laughs> and... Uh, You've been around with so many changes, and I was hoping to get into that, you know, today with you. When you when you first started fishing, um, talk about that and how exactly did you get going, and how did you learn get from step A to where you are today? Uh, well, when, you know, I've grown up fishing with my dad. We used to fish tournaments all the time, and you know, even before. You know, in the in middle school, I was still rigging all our rods together, and I'd be up loading the boat before my dad got up, and so kind of you already know what to do, you know, because you're passionate about it and stuff like that. And when I was 16, I figured I'd need a real summertime job, and Casey Hunt got me a job up on the charter boats up in Hillsborough Inlet, and I'm a young kid, I'm a go-getter, my captain at the time. You could tell where you were on the charter is where you were in your big loop around the <laughs> around the ocean there. He didn't put a lot of effort into it, but I think I like to think by the end of the summer he was putting in more effort and kind of fishing a little more because I was enthusiastic and I had him excited about it. And then that's the only job I've had really. I worked one summer and uh, for Tanner Tackle wholesale. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't like being inside. Right. And as soon as I got out of high school and graduated, I was ready to travel. And I had no mortgage, no alimony, no kid payments, nothing. Mm -hmm. And all I wanted to do was travel. And obviously, I had a decent end with my dad there. And uh, and Marianne McCarroll used to be the uh, U.S. liaison for the French look, who... Obviously, I dreamed about fishing with. Uh, tell the audience about the French Look. So the French Look was a mothership operation. It had a 165-foot mothership, steel ship. Then we had a 41-foot GNS game boat, sport fish on the back deck. You'd pull it up like a regular boat on a trailer. Then you could 
Yeah, I'll go two, three thousand miles to the next spot, put it in the water, fish for a few months, and hit all the uh, top spots around the world. And what and what year was that? That was '97. Okay, so that was one of the first motherships that, right? Yep, you had the Madam and the Hooker was good, and then Don Tyson had one, but it was pretty small and had a single engine. Um, we carried sixty thousand gallons of fuel and. Uh, we were we had the best piggyback system going right there. Right now, um, are there motherships running out there now? They're not really. Their Schwesses have one, but they're kind of stationed in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the old Aussie Rules one, but I don't know if they're. You know, you don't hear anything from them. Right. Um, right, and and I would I would I'd imagine that's because you know there's resorts in the places that the motherships used to go. Yeah, yeah. There's you know all over Costa Rica when the motherships used to be down there. You have a you have very nice resorts. You know, in Capos, they're redoing the one in Flamingo, Lasuenos, obviously. And mm-hmm. So now, have you seen uh, seen a big a big difference in the fishing from '97 to to now? And do you still get over there? Um. I have. We went uh, up in the last couple of years, done a trip to Costa Rica each year. Um, fishing's great. Um, and they're always working on conservation stuff, so, you know, a little less long lining, and, you know, the boats are getting better with sonar and everything they've got going. So the fishing's still really good. Um, you don't see as many people uh, light tack, like super light tack, ultra light fishing for records as much or even trying there's only a couple guys still kind of doing that right i know you know the motherships were doing a lot of that right now speaking of speaking of records and um igfa stuff um first of all what was it like growing up being a fisherman and having your dad be the you know president of the igfa uh it was it was great we uh you know he'd bring his homework home was approving world records you know he'd be the last line in there and have to approve them all and you know he'd, oh look at this fish with you know this weird job fish from indonesia or this and then you know, you know and then i'd hear stories of this and they'd have stuff written out or i could look at some lure that they used for tiger fish or so it's pretty neat to it's, expands your horizon more than more than other guys no shit, huh? I didn't even think about that side of it. I mean, you got to kind of dissect everybody's success. Yeah, no, it was neat. You know, some stuff we're, you know, we're really, you know, oh, look at what they caught this snook on or this big tarpon from Sierra Leone or this marlin. And then some of it was some weird obscure fish or something on fly caught in the deep Amazon. And it's just neat to see and learn and. No, that that that's huge. That's huge. I mean, I thought I was lucky having a boat builder for a dad, you know, getting the, you know some inside information. But that was mostly on boats and equipment, and then you know locations. But um, and then it was all offshore. Yeah, you know, I didn't get the 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 other side of it. Said, so did you um, did you enjoy um, that whole IGFA world and the the tournaments and this in the circuits and stuff like that because from the outside looking in it always looks so grandiose you yeah. know what i mean uh, it was neat yeah, I would, I, you know when i was little i'd help out at the igfa auction when they had it up at the breakers and you know you, we could get our high school uh, 
service credits for that and just you know in one year i you know i got the print from there and i had all the top captains and anglers from the world sign it and stuff like that and i still have it to this day and actually i've fished with pretty much all of them now eventually so it's been pretty neat yeah well i mean i mean dude you got a i mean how long of a career now you know in uh, fishing offshore like that yeah now i'm over like 25 years now yeah so i mean you've been around the block and almost back already in 25 years and fortunate enough to uh probably got another 25 years left in you is that what you think that um yeah you're gonna spend the next 25 like you did the last i i believe so it's all I've had, and you know, uh, yeah, I still enjoy it. I still, you know, I still enjoy traveling, and you know, even with kids, when I, you know, I'm used to traveling. The family's used to it. They get to come visit cool places and stuff like that, and it's. I have a great time. It's a great life. So it's working for you. Yes, it's working for you because that's not always the case. Um, you know, in, in the industry, you know, with the captains and with the traveling and, you know, the high stakes tournaments in the old days. Um, I mean, it, it was hard on a lot of people to do that and live that lifestyle. And, um, you know, for you to be able to, one, have the, the wife, you yep. know, and to understand it inside and out and being able to manage it. Yep. That's a big part of the business that a lot of guys <laughs> never get. And a lot of people don't know that that's, you know, a big part of the business. Yeah, yeah. I had a, a captain reach out to me the other day on Facebook Messenger and said, man, I'd like to pick your brain. You know, I really want to get more into a fishing career, but my wife really doesn't want to, doesn't want me to travel. You know, what do you do? You know, I, you know, my wife, that's all, you know, we met while I was fishing in St. Thomas. She was a teacher. And so this is it, you know, if I don't, if I don't go fishing, I don't pay our mortgage. So, yeah. so, uh, but it, and it works out too, you know, the, I've always had great bosses that your fishing buddies, your family, and you know, it all works. You don't say, oh, you get two weeks vacation a year, or three weeks or, you know, sometimes you have 10 days between trips when the boss isn't there. Sometimes it's only a couple of days or. Talk about talk about the bosses. Um, you know, it can be so dramatic. It can have it can be such a wide range, from the best person that you ever want to be with to the last person you ever want to be with. Talk mm -hmm. about bosses in the industry for a second. Yep, they've. Uh, you know, I've been very lucky. I've had really good bosses, and there's some that are horrors and really might you know some of the bad ones are the ones that really micromanage a lot you know if you're a professional you know i kind of do it with my mates and i don't i don't want to have to tell you what you're doing every day mm -hmm. you know as long as you know everything's getting done and it works out it works out and like we had jim lambert who's probably about the best boss there ever is and the the real good ones are the ones that i think are into fishing and we'd go there, we'd try different hook sets, and we'd run them right next to the boat on a pole to look at them and see how the hook rides and talk about, you know, is that how we'd want the hook if the fish is eating inside out or outside in? Or should we try something if it's on the left or the right rigger? Um, stuff like that. So I've, you know, those are the bosses that I think that really stick with it. And, 
really truly enjoy it because it's a lot of money (laughs) no it's a ton of money yeah it's a ton of money and um talk about that for a second i mean how much do you think in today's day and age because you know it's a lot different today than it was 20 years ago in today's day and age when Mm -hmm. these guys are rolling with their merits and their well they just had the custom shootout last week Mm -hmm. i mean what's your typical budget on, on these big boats like that I mean you're you're looking at you know buy on the light end 250,000 for the year you know in in your stuff and higher end you know three quarters of a million I know on the real tight you know we had a big fishing program we traveled a lot we were over a million blowing a million bucks a year yep. doing sport fishing yeah you know that's your oil and fuel and tackle and maintenance and stuff like that and more hours more maintenance and yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, I don't. You know, people know fishing's expensive, but um, the 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 way the offshore world works now, I've ne- it's getting so expensive. Yeah. And I tell everybody um, kind of the same thing that um, everybody thinks they got a lot of money till they do sport fishing <laughs> or get into airplanes. Yeah. Those two seem to really you know humble a lot of different guys that think they have a lot of dough. In the sport fishing market today, I got a, a water for you. Oh, and it's some ice in the cup if you want that. Oh, I'm good. Yeah, people have no clue. You know, they think, um, you know, that they think that you know they they got a big budget and they can do things, and then they get a sport fishing boat. And I've watched, I've watched people just get totally humbled by the whole fishing market in itself, and they dabble their toe in it, and it's bringing waters cold or too hot, and they get out. Yeah. So. The guy, the, the the boat that you're working on now, you've been with them a long time, right? Uh, six years. Six years. Yep. And in the in the in the offshore industry, that's a pretty good run. Six years. Yes. Yep. Is that the longest that you've worked for somebody? Uh, no. With uh, Jim Lambert, I was there just like eight and a half years. Okay. I had a couple other jobs where I was like three and a half years and stuff like that. Gotcha. And then everything was in always a few years, except a couple jobs where I took where I was. I knew I was going just for the season, gotcha. Australia or Mexico or something, or, or Galapagos and stuff. I knew I was just going for two, three months, and that was it. Now, when you were when when you were with him, um, was there a, a a record or a fish or a tournament that you guys did that really sticks out? That's kind of like I don't know your Super Bowl. Um, you know, on the real tight, you know, for our Super Bowl was always the Boy Scout in St. Thomas. That was always good. Uh, we never won it. We had a couple second places, and we won some tournaments in Bermuda, which was very nice. Um, killed some fish there as well. Um, and then we, on the French Look, we did a tournament. We didn't fish very many tournaments. We did one in Brazil, and uh, we won everything. We were the only boat to kill more than one marlin we killed two the first day two the second day and we had the biggest fish and top angler and nice. so that, that was pretty neat to go somewhere and, and crush it and, re- and really crush it and some neat fishing and now was it were there's big prizes involved uh those were not not in brazil okay the boy scout's pretty good we've won some decent money you know over 200 grand in some of the sailfish tournaments and stuff like that that's pretty cool yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, do you, you you get the big uh, cardboard check and take the picture with it and all that kind of stuff? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I always wanted to do that, that 
that never really happened for me yet. Yeah, no, it's pretty. You get to do you know, But maybe if check. I maybe if I fished a couple tournaments, you know, you got to be in it to win it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How many tournaments over the years that you think you've been in? I don't know. I was just talking with my dad, and when I was in high school, there was a couple of years where we did eighteen or twenty, you know, the smaller local tournaments around here, and then on the real tight, we were probably doing six or eight a year. You know, a couple in St. Thomas, a couple in Bermuda, some around here. Um, so I don't know. You know, over a hundred. I bet. I bet. I mean, easily over a hundred. You know. Yeah, that's how I got to know your your dad was. I think it was maybe 1999, Tread Barda tournament, big fundraiser for the IGFA over in Walker's Key, and um, it was a big deal for me to fish with your old man <laughs> at the time. You know, I wasn't I wasn't very old at the time, and then he was a big name. And um, well, hell, just being in Walker's Key and fishing any tournament in Walker's Key was a big deal. Yeah, and it, there was a there was a tournament in Walker's Key. What? Next week or last week yeah, or ne something? Next week, yeah. Next week? Are you, are you guys involved in that one? We are not. Yeah, they're already sold out. It was kind of like a way invitation only. They don't have, uh, as far as I know, they don't have the hotel rooms or anything open yet. So it's kind of stay on your boat. But welcome, you know, we're, we're starting to open and, you know, get it going. I just saw pictures of the gantry and everything all done up and ready for the tournament. That's cool. You know, I really have, uh, haven't, my mind hasn't been um you know in you know in that offshore world in a long time and uh walker's key was always like i don't know when you did the tournament walkers it seemed you wanted to talk about it more yeah you know what i mean there was something special about it and then uh not being there for so long i think maybe the next time i take a ride over there to that part of the abacos maybe i'll swing by walkers just to look I yeah, mean, seriously, I haven't been there in 25 years. But, yeah, you know, kind of like that. Now, what was your favorite, your favorite um, geographical area to fish? I mean, you've been all over. I have. I fished 27 different countries. Um, I would have to say overall, Australia was my favorite. I was. Uh, I got there a little early, so we did the little blacks inside the reef. You know, 30 to 60 pounders. You know, one day we caught seven on fly. Wow. Um, and then, obviously, the big blacks outside the reef. And um, everything, everybody's friendly, but you're sleeping out inside the reef, and you're waking up in the morning, and you're free diving and snorkeling all around the reef while you cook breakfast. And, wow. And getting a pull on really big marlin. Yeah, so a lot different feel than, say, Costa Rica, Panama type thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah really different. Yeah, I, I take guys uh, from Australia, tarpon fishing. You know, they want to come in and catch the tarpon. And uh, they definitely have a good time when they're on the boat. They do. They're, they're, they're great people. And, I mean, you can only, when you go there, you can only stay for three months or at a time on your visa. I think I was there. You know, I overstayed by a couple of weeks. But I was ready to go home, you know, spend Christmas and fly back home and go down south to New South Wales and Bermagui and all these, you know, everybody was so friendly. You're like, oh, man, come down. We're going to get straight marlin next, and then there'll be some blues, and then there'll be blacks and big makos and whatever. So I was like, man, yeah. And yeah. So you really got to mix with the Australians. Yeah, it was really nice. That's one of the funny things about fishing through the Caribbean. 
As you go all through the Caribbean, you go to all the different islands or whatever, very rarely does any local from the island actually participate. Correct. I mean, yeah, they'd be there, you know, for the banquets and, you know, to help, you know, things along, but none of them are fishing. So it must be pretty cool to, uh, you know, be able to rub elbows with the Australians like that. Yeah, no, it was great. You know, it, I mean, obviously it's beautiful. The fishing was, was great. Um, you know, I remember I was fishing and somebody killed one, a big black marlin. They put the measurements over the radio. They were like, oh, man. One captain's like, that thing's over 1,300. You, know, you think of a grand, you're like 1,000, 1,100. Right, 12 would be gigantic. But And then all, like the first one of the season killed was like 1,388 or something. I was like, what? Interesting. That's, I couldn't even, like, it wasn't even in my mind they getting that. And you guys were you guys were doing uh, black marlin on fly over there. Yes. Yep. How now? How does that work? How do you get you, you explain to the audience on that? Because I mean, people you know aren't used to yep. seeing that type of. They fishing. have like their own type of downrigger. It's kind of like a big hand reel uh, downrigger, mm-hmm. and so we'd fit, you know, and we we're fishing it like a downrigger. You'd have a bait on there and with your lead, and it'd pop off. It, you know, a little split tail mullet. And start teasing it up, and then we had a squid chain or you know a little daisy chain of baits out there, and get them in and wing the fly out there, and they were always really aggressive. And on a typical on a typical day, how many shots could you get, or how many fish could you tease up? I mean, was it like we were waiting forever, like we do sometimes with the blue ball on them? Yeah, sometimes you'd wait, and then sometimes you know you you know it was like a lot down like Mexico or somewhere you'd, you'd mark a good wad of bait. You know, you do circles around that all of a sudden you get four or five bites and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, it was normal, you know, four, five, six bites, you know, it was probably like a slower day. Really? And then, uh, you know, 10 or 12 was a really good day. Yeah, I guess. Um, but, uh, I mean, and they're, you know, little, like you catch like little 30 pounders. So I like that, but they're jumping all over and little blacks. That is neat. That is neat. That is neat. I mean, I never even knew about that fishery till you till you just brought it up. Now I know you've had experience um, fly fishing um, for billfish. Yes. And uh, shit, I was fishing the other day. What was that? Six months ago or whatever. And you blow by me, <laughs> and I give you a little text, hey, well, you know. And then uh, you're like, yeah, we're f- gonna try to get your fly on uh, sword on fly tonight. I think you were doing. Yeah. Now how much? How about I mean. How much of that, you know, do you get to do? Um, I've been lucky enough. I, you know, I, the captain that was running the boat for Roy, uh, Corey Hexler, um, I've known him for a long time from St. Thomas and fishing and hunting. And, and you know, obviously, I, I before I'd done a little fly fishing with um, Billy Pate. Um, the little with Billy Pate. Yep. Uh, up up here for swordfish, we never hooked one. Okay. But when they were going, I said, "Man, I, you know, you don't have to pay me. I just, I'd like to be a part of it. I'd like to go." And so it's it's worked out. So I've got to go with them on quite a few nights, and we've uh, we've caught one, and I think we've hooked five. All right, so we went one for five on nighttime swordfish on fly. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yep. That's pretty good. Now who? Who taught you how to do that? Uh, my dad taught me how to fly fish a little bit. And then I know I went to like a little 
one day fly fishing school. I don't remember who was teaching it. Um, and, I, and then, I, you know, we grew up on the canal, and I'd go out and practice myself. And, you know, we'd go to Bimini and catch a couple bonefish on fly. This the I'm specifically talking about the offshore process. Did someone teach oh. you how to do that? Um, I guess, you know, being on the French look and stuff like that, we did a few sailfish. Um and you know you do it like that and then you know, the guys when we I first I was catching a bunch of swordfish when it was all starting out here um, that's when I called Billy paid up and I thought Man, I, you know we're getting a lot of swordfish and we are teasing them up I was using blue live blue runners and I tease it up and as soon as you feel them get nervous reel it up swordfish would every time follow it right up you know, sometimes you, sometimes we would free harpoon them. Sometimes we were pitching baits to them. My mom caught one on eight pound. Um, you know, there's time I was throwing flies to them, and you know, they weren't eating. I I think we had too much light in the water. Gotcha. Is what we were going up, but we had Billy Payton. We had we had seven bites. We teased six up, and five were around the boat for you know a few minutes each, and. uh they they never ate, and I believe it was too much light in the water. And when I asked, what, you know, what should we do? I goes, I don't know. I did it once in Kenya, and we caught one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so I didn't know, but you know, it's trial and error. These guys, uh, Roy and Corey, they've you know done it a bunch, and right. Skip Smith is doing a bunch, and you know, that's the only guy I ever heard about doing it with Skip Smith, and that's you know he's high profile or whatever. So I heard stories about those guys doing it. But, um, yeah, very few, but pretty fucking neat. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm getting more and more into fly fishing, you know, as, as I'm getting older. I got into it a little bit when I was younger and learned how to do it, then got away from it. And now it's kind of like all I really want to do when I'm fun fishing for myself. So I thought about you running past me that day more days, more times than, uh, than I can... Uh, that I would normally think about something just like, man, he when you're out there sword fishing for the fly, I'm like thinking to myself, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the small black marlin on fly, God, that that's got to be more cool. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'll tell you what, you know, it's exciting when you get a bite on the swordfish and you tease it up, but you can't see anything. We have no light out there at all. Right. So you barely see a light stick. You can see a splash every once in a while, barely. So, you know, it is exciting if you're doing it, but it's not very visually exciting. Right. They you got, know, the little blacks are, you know, in there. They're lit up, you know, and, you know, you get to see all the jumps and stuff like that. It's that is cool. cool. That is cool. The um, Talk to me about the, um, the fishing you're doing currently and um, the boat that you're running and what they like and what you guys kind of work out every day yep uh we do, i run a 47 cabo right now and we do a little bit of everything we've gone you know all the way down to st thomas dominican republic so it's you know blue marlin on 30 pound on 50 or 80 you know trolling lures or teaser fishing so these guys are more bill fishermen than anything. Like, they like bill fishing. Um, we do we do everything. Literally, we were just uh, this past winter. You know, spent the month of February and March in Long Island, Bahamas, wahoo fishing and deep dropping, doing some meat fishing. Yeah, nice. 
and then uh yeah and then we sailfish here you know fall spring winter you know when we're here go to chub you know a few times in the winter or, you know and how many days uh are you fishing you think with your current boss current, um, current situation uh probably about 120 130 days oh that's awesome yeah that's awesome I got to tell you, I watch so many uh, guys spend the dough on their boats and on their tackle, and they got all they got everything, the captains, the mates, and then they fish 30 or 40 times a year, and I'm like, man, I would just think that if people were going to spend that kind of dough, that there'd be more boats like yours that were actually going all the time. Yep. Now, out of the peers and the, and the guys that you're hanging out with now, are, are you fishing the most out of your boat for the most part, or you're... How do you um, see it? No, it's uh, we're probably average on some of the boats that you know the boats that are traveling around and and doing it. Um, Who's the most hardcore? Um, there's some guys. There's uh, like the guys in uh, Cecil's running their boat, the debate. It's a '61 Spencer, and uh, they don't fish tournaments, but they like be in the DR. You know, dawn till dusk every single day. So they just um, all the time. Yep. Yep. And uh, it's like, you know, and I'll tell anybody, I don't care what kind of boat you have. If you don't use it, it's not worth it. Right. I don't care if it's a bass boat, if it's a little John boat, if it's a flat skiff or sport fish. Right. You, know, start, you start sitting there looking at the bills and this and that. And you're like, hey, you know, I went four times last right. year in the last three months. You know, is it? I could charter somebody that's on the fish every day, go catch fish, have a good day, walk away, and I don't have to worry about engine maintenance and this breaking and that breaking. And right, dude. Even on the in, even in the inshore world, mm-hmm. you know, it holds true. I can't tell you how many clients I've had over the years that started off fishing with me, you know, enjoyed it, learned how to do it, went out and got a boat, did that for maybe two or three or four years, and then you know realized that. I was better off just going with Jeff all the time. I'm spending three times as much and fishing three times less. Yep. And, uh, you know, they come back around. But it's hard to teach somebody that. They kind of got to go through it themselves. Yeah, yeah, you got you to go through it. And, so, yeah, you know, like my boat, you know, I have a little John boat, duck boat. This time, you know, I love to, the kids love going. The water's low. We go catch a bunch of bass or go up and How old do you get? How old fish. the kids? Uh, five and nine are my daughters, and my son's eleven. So you are you spending? I, so. I mean, I know it, but I want you, the audience to know it. T- talk about the, the the time that you're spending with the kids and in uh, the outdoors. I mean, I get to see your posts and stuff, so I kind of know. But yeah. I mean, oh, the, we do it all the time. You know, you know, my old obviously my son he loves fishing. You know, he's caught sailfish, tunas, and sharks, and and he he gets a kick out of that. You know, they'll wake me up in the morning on a weekend if we have nothing planned. Hey, Dad, let's go. You know, hit some of these canals for a jack or a snook or something. You know, just throw a big popper down the at the dead end canals. You know, for an hour, and right. catch a couple of big jacks, and you know they have a great time. Or, you know, I've taken my little girl when she was four, I think, and went up to Lake Ida. It's just the two of us. You know, caught three or four nice big clown knife fish. She's catching them all by herself on her shiner, and right. you know they're they're all into it. So cool! You're gonna do with your kids how your dad did with you. Yeah, and uh, you're fortunate that your kids are really into that. I know a lot of guys that, um, you know, phenomenal fishermen, 
and then they had their kids and they want so badly for them to love you know the fishing and you know some do like you which mm-hmm. are very fortunate and others you know they don't and i know that's a big deal mm-hmm. you know for the relationship you know the, the the fisherman dad just wants so badly and then some kids just it's not for them yeah you yeah. know we had three kids in our family and i was the only one that was a fishing freak yeah and the other ones like to be on the boat though so made it made it a little easier on the family yeah yeah my middle daughter you know she'll fish and she's caught fish and you know a couple of years ago she's oh, she didn't want me to cast anymore for you know she cast and the, you know most of the time bass fishing we're just using lures and stuff she'd do it all on her oh dad i don't right she wouldn't want to take handoffs anymore but uh she's not as into fishing as the littlest and my son but she just wants to be with the family. She'll just go out there and hang out and look at alligators, catch a couple fish. She might draw a picture, but uh, we have a great time. One of the things that I learned when I was younger and in the billfish world was the old phrase that, you know, families that fish together stay together. Yep. So, congratulations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. You do. You got it. That's a, that's a big win in life. It is. You know, especially... Um, if you enjoy the outdoors and it's really part of your life and to have your family be able to spend it just any time of it with you yep. is right. more okay. valuable than anything money can buy. Yep. So congratulations on that. Yep. I think it kept, kept me out of a lot of trouble too. Instead of going to keg parties and stuff like that on a Friday night, you know, I was in the garage making sure the rods were rigged. Right. You know, going to bed at 8.30 or 9 o'clock so I could get up at 4 to go catch bait and fish all day. Do it again Sunday and coming to school with the sunburn and right. some good stories and stuff like that. So Right, and that, I, t- I got I to gotta tell you, the um, unless you've been in that tournament world and competitive fishing world, people have no clue how much time is spent not fishing. In the preparation, yeah. in the equipment. Now, the equipment today, like the 47 Cabo that you're on, uh-huh. how hard is that for, I shouldn't say how hard is it, how much time and energy do you spend um, on the equipment and the upkeep and the maintenance and the prep work compared to lines in the water? Yeah, yeah there's a lot more uh, prep work. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky, uh, the boss lets us have a lot of time, you know, when we're not fishing and he doesn't say, don't buy this cause we're not doing this right now. So, you know, we'll have a bunch of sailfish rigs made up and wire rigs for Kings and, you know, all our Marlin lures and Ballyhoo rigs and stuff like that. But then it's, you know, every hundred hours you're changing oil and, you know. It's a boat. There's always some kind of pump that's broken. You know, you come in on a Monday, you didn't work all weekend, and now your satellite TV is out. Right. Yeah, nothing out. You didn't go out in the ocean. You didn't use the boat. All of a sudden, some motor died on you, and now you got to yeah. trace that down and yeah. stuff like that. And well, I'm sure you get this, and, and I get it as an insured guy. As people say, oh, you're living the lifestyle. You know, you must, that, you know, it must be so freaking great. And, you know, they have no um, clue that 80% of the time you're working on stuff. Your lines aren't in the water. (laughs) 
And then 20% of the time, if you're lucky, your lines are in the water and you're actually fishing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a non- ongoing, relentless barrage of problems that is put on the captain's shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have numerous people, you know, friends from the kids' school and stuff like that. They're like, well, what, you know, you haven't fished in a couple of weeks. Well, you've just been at home watching TV. What have you been doing? <laughs> so, no, I'm on salary. And, you know, we're there every day. And, you know, wash the boat a couple times a week if need be. So, you know, down here it gets pretty dirty. Um, and then, you know, change this. This thing breaks. Whack, you know, put a coat of wax on this and that and yeah i think i think the biggest um the biggest issues that owners have with the guys that are working on the boats is these guys will say oh i just want you to be part-time and he's got a 63 viking it's like there's no such thing (laughs) if you want that viking to run every time you want to go fishing there's no such thing as part-time yeah and you think um you think the guy that the typical guy that's out there buying a sport fish, new guy, not the guy that's been through the ringer and is on his 10th sport fish and, you know, 7th captain, but the new guy. Yep. When do you think that hits them? Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean you, you've dealt with a lot of people in your lifetime and in a pretty niche, you know, area. Yeah. And you've seen things and know things that other people don't, so. Yeah. Yeah, there, I mean, there's some guys, you know, they'll be like, oh, I only need, uh, we only need one mate, you know, or, you know, just hire a guy, you know, as you need them, you know, when we're going fishing and, you know, they have a captain there and uh, it's a lot of work. A lot of jobs are two-man jobs, too, you know, taking your riggers off to wax those and stuff like that. Like, it's, you know, you, and if you don't, you know, if you're cutting out and only having one guy work, you know, a lot of times it's more than one guy can do. So some stuff's going to get sloughed off to something, you know, right. a later time. Or you're going to have to have guys come in and wax the whole boat every so often because it's the captain's doing other things. Or right. or they only want a mate, you know, and the captain likes, or the owner likes to drive the boat. And right. Yeah, it's kind of like, like a little NASCAR team or something. You know, you have to have... You know, the little team. Mm -hmm. If you want your boat to run the way it's supposed to, look the way it's supposed to, perform the way it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I think it takes um, the new owner. I would, I mean, I've watched it a lot. I would take, you know, usually two or three years just to understand it. Yeah. But like most businesses or most most of anything, it takes about three years to actually get it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go with that. Yeah. And I think there's about a three-year how do you say it, trial on all the new boat owners? Yeah. Like, okay, are they going to make it to that third year? Yeah, yeah, I know there's there's a few that come in, and they're gung-ho, and they get somebody, and, oh, man, I want to fish all these sailfish tournaments. And the captain's like, all right, well, we also need this $300,000 bait boat <laughs> to go with our $2 million sport fish, and it's, you know, thirty-five grand per tournament by the time you're across the board and you pay extra anglers and mates to come fish with you and bait fishing and hotels or you know whatever all you have going on and then at the end you know after a year or so and they're like this i did all that and i won two you know i spent 1.3 million and i won you know 200,000 if i was lucky (laughs) (laughs) and 
great, great. You know, it doesn't. You you know, you better you better love it and stuff like that. You know, I, there's a boat down here, the Sandman. They're phenomenal in all these tournaments. That's my favorite boat here. And uh, I think one of the things that they have really good working for them too is that you know, obviously, I captain and mates, but they also have the Dominican guy who's a full-time mate on there, Dommy. And so when John, Louie, and Jeffrey, and they're out bait fishing during the day, they have one guy there still maintaining the sport fish and ready to go. Whether it's stocking drinks, waxing this, that. You know, captain can be there and, uh, you know, it's blown today. All right, let's quick, let's change the oil, even though it's only been 80 hours or, you know, whatever. And it, it really helps to have a really good team that you can take care of everything because there's a lot to take care of. You know, it's a lot to go goggle eye fishing all night, you know, catch some thread fins in the morning, then come back and have to wash the boat, right. <laughs> wash the, the big boat too again at the end of the day. Right. So you're ready to look good too. There's two boats to go by me on a normal basis. And when I look over, I say, man, I wonder what's going on, you know, with them today. And that would be the Sandman, mm -hmm. and then down in uh, Miami, the uh, LNH. Yep. Those two boats go by me, and it, my mind, you know, every time, like, hey, I wonder what they got into today. I wonder where they're going right now, or whatever, you know. Yep. And um, two well-oiled machines. Very different as two totally different um, arenas. Yep. You know, the LNH being an everyday charter boat, and the Sandman being a tournament boat in, um, you know, really high end. But similar in the fact that they're a well-oiled machine. Yep. Yeah. Was there a, a, a team or a captain that you tried to emulate as you developed your career? Um, my dad would always say, you know, before I started marlin fishing, he would always say, you know, he was an observer a few times on the night lines, and Obie O'Brien was the captain, and I, you know, I. No, he had uh, Bobby Adelman was his mate for a while, and John Scoobal and John Bassett and stuff. But he said when they would fish, they'd be like, all right, put out the Halloween, and that would be the black and orange mole craft. And they would, he said, you know, the one would be reeling it in, the other guy would have the lure out, you know, you'd flip it out, you know, and everything was quick. You know, you weren't not fishing at all. You know, you were always fishing everything was smooth everybody knew their job and stuff like that so he'd always, you know he'd always be like night lights night lights that was his uh thing to pet me up you so, know. so that's who you kind of like looked at and could and, and tried to emulate as you yeah as, as you grew your yeah and i you know and i've been fortunate enough you know pretty much my first real travel job was on the french look and i had james roberts and jody whitworth and mikey latham and all these guys and so, you know, they learned, you know, I went in, I told them I didn't know anything, I wanted to learn, and they told me, okay, you know, when I take this, you pull that lure in, I'll throw this other one out, and kept good stuff going, and we would do that on the reel tight, you know, hold the tip so the guy reeling in the lure, the tip's not bouncing around and slowing you down, and uh, so I've, you know, and we fished, we do that too on regular, you know, not on tournament days. Right. No, you're always fishing like that. Okay. The um, so if that tournament in Brazil was your highlight, <laughs> what was your low light? I mean, what was the worst situation you've been in, especially in like the tournament scene? 
Um, well, I don't know if we've ever had any really bad ones. One day, one day it was my dad and I were, it was just the two of us fishing the Miami Billfish Tournament. And we went right out to the sea buoy and put them out, caught a big kingfish. And as my dad had gaffed it, like in the middle of the body, and came over and whacked him and cut his foot real good where he needed oh. 25 stitches or something. And so we had to go in and didn't fish that day. And uh, and actually one day on the, I should say, the one of the we were fishing the Bisbee at the time, which is the richest tournament in the world. And uh, I really want to say it was a triple daily, too. All the money had rolled out. So you're looking at over a million dollars if you could kill a fish that day. And the, uh, the boss and the captain got into a big fight. And the uh, boss came down and laid on the, on the bed and calls up the other mate, Jody. And the captain's like, hey, could you run this boat? He's like, yeah, you know, it's a 41-footer. He had no problem. It's like, all right, good. Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna fish our way in a little bit, and we're gonna run in, drop me off on the mothership. You guys come back out and go fishing. <laughs> like what? <laughs> and uh, so we did that. Next thing you know, you know, five minutes later, he's like, all right, reel him in. We start reeling him in. The boss jumps up. What are you doing? I, he told us to reel him in. <laughs> they yelled a little more. It's all right. Let's go. We reeled him in. And we went back out fishing, and we didn't catch anything, but. <laughs> That that was pretty pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you know, my first marlin tournament ever, and um, you know, nineteen, eighteen at the time. And I don't know much about anything for marlin fishing, fishing for a million bucks. <laughs> They're all arguing, and that's yeah, that's uh, so that was that was pretty low. But so for the most part, you've been able to. Uh, um, I would say definitely more than most been able to stay in the right atmosphere with the right people and um, been able to grow as a, as a, as a fishing captain. Yes. I've been very lucky in that aspect. I've had great people around me. uh, You know, most tournaments I've fished in um, even freelancing and stuff like that. You know, I feel like we have a shot to win it. You know, there's sometimes, you know, you're on boat, there's boats, and you're like, yeah, there's, you know, hope they have a good time, but, you know, they're not, they're not really, they're not really in it, yeah, you know. I feel you, I feel you. What do you see, and and we'll wrap up the podcast with this, but what do you see um, the biggest change in the fishing world in the last couple of years? Um, of course, even the last decade for that matter. Yeah, I've seen, it seems like there's less, um, guys that are really trying to hone their angling skills. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's great teams and, you know, they're very competitive and they're great fishermen. But I feel like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there was more guys and even guys in Costa Rica just fun fishing we're fishing eight pound and twelve pound and six pound and four pound, you know, just for fun. You know, hey, let's catch a few fish, whether they really wanted a record or not. You know, they were learning the line, and you know, as a captain, you have to learn boat handling and a mate. You, you know, grabbing leaders on friskier fish and stuff like that, heavier leaders. You know, nowadays it seems like 
you know, 80 pound leaders standard for a lot of blue marlin fishermen now that are fishing 30 pound and, you know, and ballyhoo and stuff like that. So I feel like some of, you know, there's not as many anglers. They're, they're great anglers on 30 pound, on 50 pound. But I don't feel like they're really working to learn all the aspects of all the tackles and stuff like that. Right. And then uh, and then as captains, more and more uh, technology. Everybody's, all these big tournament guys going with sonar and um, stuff like that. So it's, you got to learn more and more money and a little more stuff you got to pay attention to, maintenance-wise and using while you're fishing. Right. I don't know. that the, the electronics thing, I was always taught, whether it was offshore or inshore, that in order to really be successful fishing is you have to train your eyes and use your eyes all the time. Yep. I feel today, in today's world, that way too many people spend time looking at their monitor yeah and not looking at the water and for every second that you're looking you're got your face in your monitor you're not looking at the water so yep. it's a, and i i think it's a huge mistake and people the other thing that people have way too much faith in that machinery yeah i can't tell you how many days i can't mark a tarpon to save my life but my rods are bent over constantly yep. and I see the bigger boats with the big with their big electronics they come in they don't mark them and they leave and I'm perfectly fine with them leaving yeah. but it's just you know you know what they're doing and I think it's people all say oh electronics has helped so much I feel the opposite yeah. I feel that it's handicapped many captains and anglers and mates yep. and it's a sucker's game in my opinion Yep. Well, I know it was like four years ago on, on the boat I run, and we did all new electronics, yeah. like a $60,000 package, you right. know, all Garmin, you know, depth finder, chirps, you know, high definition radar, you know, everything. And, we, you know, I think our first day fishing, you know, went out kite fishing, shake down crews out here, and we caught three or four sailfish, and every single one we caught off a flopper. So I said, you got $60,000 worth of fish, you know, fish finding equipment. And I, we only caught the ones that jumped out of the water and showed me where they were. So. Yeah, so, yeah, so you feel me. So you feel me. Yeah, we got electric kite reels. We got kites up, this and that. Can't get a sailfish bite to save our life. But running from one spot to the next, one jumps out of the water, you stop, throw a couple of baits out and catch one or two. So. Exactly, exactly. You know, I talked to... Um, Mitchell Vitale yesterday mm -hmm. and I told him that you were coming in we were going to do an interview and he told me that you were one of the best guys in the industry and if he was going to model himself at anybody it would be you so you're doing a great job out there and I really appreciate you being on the Real Guy Podcast 